be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness, Come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing, Lord, from this moment all shall be thine. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Please be seated. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus speaking in that Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 43 through 48 of chapter 5, we hear Jesus say, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order 
that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors and gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The basis for the lesson is based on the song that we've just sung, Oh, to be like thee. I think light's up here so I can shine it on you. See if you're awake. Our desire is to be like the Father. To have that type of love that he has expressed towards us. There's another thought brought out in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 18, in the first three verses there, of our also being like children. Now, we don't be, are not such, and we cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Yesterday was Country Day on the Hill, and several of us met to pass out some literature to those who were coming to Country Day on the Hill. And we had three young ladies, April, Zoe, Carice, and Kirsten, who were there helping out as well. And you talk about becoming like a little child. It took Carice a little bit to get into it, but once you got into it, <clears throat> you couldn't stop her. And there was no way that anybody, or they some tried, but they could not, there's no way that anybody could refuse those sweet little girls holding out a package for them to take. And whether they, you could see someone, they would see us, and know they kind of skirt around trying to get around us, and the girls wouldn't let them. And they would meet them and greet them and invite them to a Bible class and come join them. And they'd hand them the package, and the, that went very well. I don't know how the two did on the other end, but we went through ours pretty quick because those girls were going at it. And appreciate that attitude that they had of, you know, once they got into it, they really enjoyed doing what they could do and helping to spread the word. Jesus gives a very difficult task, if you will. In the reading this morning out of Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, the concept of loving your enemies. I'm praying for those who despitefully use you. 
It's a challenging command until you also recognize, oh, to be like the, to be like the Lord, to understand what He indeed has done for us, the lengths that He was willing to go, so that we can move from a position of being an enemy to being a child, to being a friend, to being an heir of heaven. And we can take the reading to heart when we can learn to apply it properly. It will bless, it will change our life, and indeed, if nothing else, it will make the world a better place because of our attitude and our desire to do the things that God would have us to do. Of course, the question could be, who is our enemy? Anyone who curses you, speaks evil of you, could be considered an enemy. And that concept of desiring to love them, again, as we go through, we will quickly understand that that word love is not the emotional type of love. It's not the fondness type of love. It's not the brotherly type of love. It is the love that desires the best for another. What steps are we willing to take to desire the best for another? It's anyone who hates you. They hated the master without a cause. They've hated God. We're not to be surprised if they should desire to hate us as well. They do not understand, or do many times do they desire to understand what the truth is. They have their own brand or their own understanding of what truth is. They have their own understanding of who God is, their own understanding of who Jesus is. But they really do not want to hear the truth of the matter, of why Jesus came, why he died, why he ascended back to the Father, and why he patiently waits and helps those who want to serve him, but to encourage others to make that decision within their life to make a change. People hate each other for a variety of different reasons. Many of it has nothing to do with religion. It has a lot to do with all kinds of other matters. But oftentimes that hatred is directed to those who desire, long for, and want to live a different life than those around them. And to believe that a different life is possible, to believe that a different life is required by God, and to believe that this different life that is possible, that is required by God, is something 
that indeed makes our life so much better and would make their life as well. Your enemy is anyone who despitefully uses you. Again, all brought out in the reading. They may mistreat you as they did Jesus. It's always hard to read those closing chapters of Matthew 26, 27. And to read and to comprehend to a small degree what they did to the one who loved him and came to save him. How despitefully they used him or misused him and abused him, mocked him, and ridiculed him. Wanted nothing to do with what of who he was and why he came to this world. Anyone who would persecute you, knowing the power of the scriptures, doesn't take long to read why we would love our enemies, why we would desire what would be best for them, why we would reach out to them in order that they might hear, might believe, might obey, and might be saved. In the book of Acts, and in chapter 8, down at verse 3, we read of Saul of Tarsus, who made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And this is for nothing more than they're simply being Christians, ones who believed and obeyed the gospel and were striving to serve God. We go over to chapter 9 of Acts. And Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You go over to chapter 22 of Acts. In verse 4, this Saul of Tarsus is now the Apostle Paul, and he's writing about his life. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering unto prisons both men and women. A few chapters further over in chapter 26. 9 through 11. 
Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I have to go over a few more books to the book of Galatians in chapter 1. Down at verse 13. For ye have heard of my former conduct in Jerusalem, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. That's all on the negative side. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul writing here, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundantly with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus, might, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Reason and a purpose. If they had not loved their enemies, if they had not prayed for those who had persecuted them, if they had not beseeched Jesus on behalf of the one who was persecuting them to the death, we may not have had the Apostle Paul. They had problems even after he was converted and came back to Jerusalem of the disciples not wanting to receive him because they still feared him. When Barnabas spoke up, again the world changed. That's why we want what is best for our enemies. Because one day our enemies may be our brother or our sister in Christ. Just never know. Paul in Romans 1.16 reminds us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. That gospel is God's power to save. It matters not who the individual is. 
Again, we just quickly went over the things that Saul of Tarsus did, the way he thought towards, the action he considered and did to those who were of the way, to those who were faithful children of God, putting them to death, causing orphans, causing widows, causing widowers, doing his best to destroy the church. But down the line, he made a change. We may think a person may never change, but the power is in the gospel. Unless we are able to share, unless we're able to receive those who have made changes, we stand in jeopardy ourselves as well. Our enemy may be own family, may be neighbors, may be co-workers, fellow citizens. It may be a host of different things. We are encouraged to be like Jesus. To consider an attitude that may need to be taken within our life. Over in the Gospel of John in chapter 19, Jesus is before Pilate. Down at verse 10, and Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Do not fear men who can destroy the body, but not the soul. Jesus said to him, the one to fear who is the one who is able to destroy the body and the soul in hell. Jesus did not fear Pilate. Pilate thought he had all authority and he could take life, he could spare life, it's up to him. And Jesus had to remind him, you only have it because it's been given to you. It's not you, it's the one above. When we put our trust in the one who is above, then there's not a fear we face here. Not saying there's not anxiety, not saying that it's all going to be peace and no troubles or tribulation, but it's simply saying, Whatever the time may be and whatever it is that we face, do we trust that there is a God in heaven who knows, understands, working his will out? And do we know that there's a Savior who gave his life for us and who is preparing a place for us eternally with him? If we put our faith and our trust in him, It matters not what man may do to us. And again, we do not know by the life that we live 
the impact that we may have upon another. Jesus impacted the life of Pilate. Moving from a position that says, I have the power to kill you, or the power to save you. To believing that he was innocent and sought to release him. Other factors were involved as well, but again, a change that Pilate may not have known that he ever did make. Love your enemies. One day they may indeed be your friend or your brother. Why should we love our enemy? To be like our Heavenly Father. (coughs) To be like our Heavenly Father. He loved us when we were unloving. We look over in the book of Romans, over in chapter 5. Verse 8 and following. For God demonstrates his own love towards us. And and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been made justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when, what? We were enemies. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. When we were enemies, God gave his son to die for us. He loved us. We had to love our enemies and to desire what is best. What would be best for them, again, would be for them to acknowledge that they have no hope outside of Christ. Be willing to repent of those sins and confess Jesus as the Savior and obey him in baptism for the remission of those sins. Why should we love our enemies? Because we do not want to be like them. We do not want to be like they are. Lost. Without hope. And we would want the same to be, ought to want the same to be for them. We want them to find salvation only through Jesus Christ. We're to strive not to let our enemies to overcome us. A few chapters later in Romans in chapter 12. Verse 19 and following. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Don't let the evil overcome you, but you overcome the evil. You do the good. We'd like to have everything figured out in our life. 
But we find out that that's not the case. We do not have it all figured out. I'm not sure how God works everything that we do out for his good and for his glory. I believe he does. And what I see is evil in my life, or as I see evil being done as I see it in my life, mine is to trust God. His will is being worked out. He knows what he's doing. And good can come from whatever has been done. I know it's true. Because good has been done. For those who have heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel. Good has been done for those who have been raised to walk this new life. And to be a child of the living God. Good has been done for those who trust God. Who lean on Him. Who lean on their brothers and their sisters in Christ. It is good to do good. It is good to love your enemies. Because again, never know when they may be your brother or your sister in Christ. And never know that the good that you do may be the catalyst that begins to cause them to rethink who they are and what it is that they need to do within their life. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. What a glorious, glorious thought. So many times we desire to carry or to bear our own burdens in the sense that we do not turn to the one who can lift them off of us. So many times, at times, we as Christians have petitioned God concerning the burdens that we face, only at the conclusion of our prayers to pick those burdens up and carry them again. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. He's the one that gives us that hope for this life and for the life that lies beyond. So as you consider your life this morning, what relationship do you have with the Savior? What relationship do you have with the Heavenly Father? What change needs to be made? It may be to become a child of God. It may be to renew that life in Christ Jesus again. It may be for the prayers, for strength to live the life that we know that we ought to live with the help that God gives. If you have a need, we could assist you, if we could help you in that need. Indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.